Well, good afternoon. It is great to be here, and I know that most people here are either members of Bridwell Heights or regular attendees. And I do want to say something in light of that fact, is that I'm, I'm really excited, because um, I really believe that God is doing something in Bridwell Heights with regard to evangelism. Um, something that evangelism, which was really, for honest, not talked about that much, I don't know, a year or two ago, is now constantly being talked about. And here we are doing our annual conference on it. That in and of itself is exciting to me. But not only are we just talking about it, we're not merely talkers, we're doing it now. We're starting to do it. And that's very exciting to me. And I, I really believe God is doing a work in our hearts for, to serve him and to serve the lost and to reach out. And so thankful. I myself, you know, not worthy of any of those introductions. It is, I never saw myself doing this sort of thing. Again, it's, it's God. Um, two years ago, I started doing it because God put a burden on my heart. It's not because there's something innate here. Um, so I, I appreciate the kind words, but I want to give all glory to God and you know, that God gives us the, uh, the strength and ability, which is something that we'll be talking about. So if you'll take your Bibles and uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. We'll look at a few other texts as well through the course of this message. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 6, I am charged with the task of how are we to reach them. And we're going to discuss that in light of this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray that you will help us. We really have no strength in ourselves and no ability in ourselves to bring your word to anybody. But we thank you that you give us ability, you give us strength, you give us your word. We pray that you will help us, but you'll help me to make this, to preach this message that will be beneficial to the hearers and not just empty words, but words that are biblical, that, are, that contain your truth, and that you'll, you will use them to inflame our hearts to you and to get us moving in the work of evangelism. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. One time I was listening to the radio, and I heard a preacher talking about somebody else, but a, a so-called evangelist, and he was doing criticism of this person, and rightly so, because this so-called evangelist said something to this effect. They said, give me 30 minutes with any unbeliever, even the most hostile atheist, and I will make him a Christian. That's what the guy said. And I don't need to tell you what's wrong with that, Right? So what brought that guy to such like an arrogant and unbiblical position about conversion and evangelism? Well, undoubtedly, many factors play in, for sure. I mean, his low view of sin, his low view of Satan, his low view of conversion itself, but particularly his high view of himself and his high view of his evangelistic strategies, right? His high view of his so-called man-made evangelistic strategies, and these evangelistic strategies, quote-unquote, will oftentimes draw large groups of people into churches, won't they? You'll get mega churches out of evangelistic strategies. But what are we supposed to make of these man-made evangelistic strategies that the guys come up with that they really think, I can get large numbers of people to flow into the church by doing these things? 
Are we supposed to come up with our own strategies, our own gimmicks and tricks in order to, you know, quote-unquote, reach the lost? We're trying to get all these people into the church building. The text that we're looking at this afternoon is going to help us with developing kind of a how-to um, as we approach evangelism. So I want you to look there at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Or, therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul, being the intense and violent sinner that he was before his conversion, received mercy from God, didn't he? Instead of God condemning Paul, he converted him and put him into his service as an apostle. He received his ministry by the mercy of God, just as he received his salvation by the mercy of God. There was nothing about Saul of Tarsus that was excellent and great and worthy of being a servant of God to serve as an apostle. There was nothing that he did, that he was, or that he did in and of himself that made him excellent. He received his ministry as a minister of the new covenant by the mercy of God. Right? He says earlier, look at 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Who makes them adequate? God makes them adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Who makes him sufficient for these things? Who makes him adequate to be a minister of the new covenant, to bring the gospel Not himself. He's not adequate in and of himself. His adequacy, his sufficiency, comes from God. Now, somebody from Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship, REF, came up to me over the summer. And they asked me this question, and I'll paraphrase. I can't remember exactly how he put it. He said, do you know what you need in order for God to use you in ministry? And I said, what? He said, you need to be breathing. (laughs) What's his point? God can use anybody. God is the power. He's the one who supplies the adequacy. He's the one who supplies the sufficiency. Our sufficiency doesn't come from us. Our ability doesn't come from us. You don't have the ability in and of yourself to do anything, let alone share the gospel. As Paul Washer put it once, you don't have the ability to tie your shoe apart from Christ, let alone share the gospel in and of yourself. Paul says... I received this this ministry by the mercy of God. And then look at his conclusion based upon that. The last part of verse 1. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why do I have this ministry? Because God, God gave it to me. Out of his mercy. And because of that, I'm encouraged. I'm not discouraged. I don't lose heart. I don't become faint hearted over it. Because our sufficiency is not from us. Our ministry is not from us. Our commission doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. Jesus didn't give us the Great Commission, and then, he, then did he say this? Behold, you're on your own until the end of the age. No, he said, behold, I'm with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age in this task of the Great Commission. So how are we to reach them, the lost? How are we to reach them? Well, first, we have to start in the right place in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our thinking. We can only reach the lost faithfully and continue to reach them faithfully if we recognize that we can't do it by ourselves. In fact, we have to recognize that we cannot rely upon ourselves to be faithful in that. You don't have the ability to do it on your own. But Paul's conclusion is not, and therefore I'm really discouraged because I can't do it. He says, no, because the ministry is from Jesus, therefore I don't lose heart. We must instead rely upon God to give us strength and the ability to serve him by reaching the lost. This, This is meant to engender encouragement for us, is that, Hey, you can't mess it up if God is with you. God is the one who's giving you strength and ability. You need to rely upon him. Now, practically speaking, sounds good. We need to rely on God. Yes, we all agree. But how do we do that? How do we do that? We need to be praying for the lost. Okay? Your intellect and your ability to communicate are nothing. They don't save people. It's God who saves people. You need to pray for God to make them soil that is that is ready to receive the seed of the word. We need to pray for the lost, pray for open doors to reach them. 
You can't make opportunities for yourself. God's the one who has his sovereign decree. He's the one who has his providence or everything. You can't make people talk to you. You don't have control, but God does. So you need to pray that you have open doors for the word. That you can speak to the lost with these two things. With boldness, you need to speak with boldness and with clarity. With boldness and with clarity. Why do I say those things? Because Paul asked people to pray that he would speak with boldness and with clarity. Listen, Ephesians 6, 19-20. He says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And then clearly, Colossians 4, 2-4, to he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open us for us a door to the word, for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear, which is the way I ought to speak. So how ought you to speak? With boldness and with clarity. Paul says, I ought to speak with boldness and clarity. Please pray that I'll be able to do that. Please pray that God will make me bold and clear in my presentation of the gospel. So we have to pray for the lost, pray for open doors, pray for boldness, pray for clarity. We have to rely on God to give you strength to do that. We're not naturally, innately bold, courageous. We're scared, aren't we? We're fearful people. But God can make you fearless. Not, you don't pull yourself up. God can make you fearless and give you strength. Boldly. What's it mean to speak boldly? That means you're not holding back the truth for fear that you'll offend somebody. You're not holding back the truth of God's word for fear of offending somebody. You're not sugarcoating it or manipulating things to make them, to really change the message so that people aren't offended. You, you have a charge to speak it fully and not subtract anything. And then clearly, that is, you want to make sure they understand what you're saying. You don't want to be confusing or muddled in your thinking. You want them to understand the gospel. You don't want them to go away saying, I don't really know what he was talking about. I want to, you want to be, they, they should be able to say, yeah, I understand the message. Whether they believe it or not, it's not up to you. But you can, you can really work at and pray for that you'll be very clear so that they really understand the message. And they, they may hate you all the more because they understand it so well. But that's your goal is to speak clearly and boldly. They may receive the gospel. and I finally understand it now. Everybody was so confusing before, but now it's clearer. We have, a, we have a goal to be, speak clearly and straightforwardly. We need to also pray that we will be faithful to sharing the gospel in the way that God has prescribed for us to share the gospel. What's our strategy? We're going to look at that in a minute. We need to be faithful to the method that God has prescribed. So, God has given us the ministry to share the gospel. He says, be bold, be clear. I've given it to you. I'm with you. Be encouraged. How do you do it then? Well, first off, this text tells us what not to do. Tells us what not to do. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. We're not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Okay? So he's saying we renounce certain things. What do we do? We renounce these hidden things because of shame. Renounce, you could say, you're renouncing hidden, shameful ways or secret, shameful ways. These hidden, secret tactics, these disgraceful, underhanded ways. These are all different ways you could say this. Different translations will render it that way. These terms refer, refer to things that Paul is denouncing as shameful things. They're underhanded, they're sneaky, they're trickery. So we need to renounce that. He talks, in generally, these are sneaky, bad things to do. And then he gives us two particulars, what we're not, what we're not supposed to do. He says, not practicing or walking in craftiness and not tampering with God's word or adulterating God's words. So let's, let's expound upon that. We're not going to be crafty or, or act with cunning, is another way that that's rendered. Cunning or craftiness. In Ephesians 4.14, uh, Paul warns against crafty teachers. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's being used the same type of way there, I believe, that it is in 2 Corinthians. We're not supposed to have these sneaky, crafty, ulterior motives in ministry. 
What are some ways? What are some ways that this is done? Now, I'm going to talk about things that you're going to say, yeah, amen, people are doing that out there, and it's probably not going to hit home, but there's some things that maybe are a little bit closer to home for us as well. So let's start a little bit further away. There are some gimmicky ways that people do to try to draw people into the church, right? We know this. The entertainment schemes, the attraction methods, the seeker-sensitive thing. Let's do rock concerts, theater productions, dance routines, et cetera, et cetera, to bring the people in. Now, you know, I'm sure, the problem with that. Something that Paul Washer said about this. He says, if you use carnal means to attract people, then you'll get carnal men. Okay? If you use carnal means to attract people, you'll get carnal men. He's right on there. No conversion happens through this, this kind of empty entertainment-based thing. You're trying to get people in, not with the word of God, but instead with some sort of way to make them entertain, to make them like you and be attractive in a, in a worldly way. All right? That's something that we need to renounce. We're not going to do that sort of thing. I'm going to get people to say they're a Christian because we do dance routines here is not a, a biblical and straightforward way of making disciples, right? And you know that, the, on the other hand, another example, that the health and wealth prosperity preachers, you know the ulterior motives of those guys, right? The manipulation that they do. You donate to me and you'll be blessed. You're on, you're on the fast track to health, wealth, and happiness, you know? If you're struggling financially, you know, you just need to do this and you'll, you'll you know, you sow a seed with your money and it'll increase, you know, whatever, 70-fold, whatever they say. You understand as well, that's also just straight up manipulation and, and you know, Charlatans, right there. What about this? This is something that might be more common in, honestly, in, in some you know, kind of evangelical churches. The peer pressure attempts, sometimes common in youth groups. Hey, all your friends are becoming Christians, so you should become one too. You notice that all your friends are getting baptized, so you should too. There's no real gospel there. It's a manipulation tactic to put pressure on them, not in a biblical way, not in a be urgent because you can die and need to repent of your sins, but instead, hey, all your friends are doing it. So in this time, it's okay to go along with the crowd. Most other times, it's not, right? So that, that sort of manipulation tactic, that craftiness, that cunning. What about this? The try Jesus out. The, the give Jesus a 30-day trial, money-back guaranteed type of attempt where, hey, you come here, you, you say you're a Christian for a while, let's just see what happens. You, know, you can kind of test, them out, test the waters with Jesus. But you know very well that Jesus himself contradicts such a notion um, when he talks about counting the cost to be a disciple. You recall Luke 14, 25, he says, Now these great crowds are accompanying him. And he turns and says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, listen to this, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And the try Jesus out method says, yeah, it doesn't matter. You try Jesus out, you begin to build, and if you bail, no big deal. But Jesus said, no, you better count the cost. You better count the cost before you say that you're going to follow, follow Christ. He goes on, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes at him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Does that jive with, try it out, and if it doesn't work out, no big deal, take it or leave it? Not at all. all right? It's count the cost. It's a serious thing to say that you're a Christian, that you are now in Christ's kingdom. You are a, a servant of Christ. You are a son or a daughter of God adopted. You can't just throw that around, try it out, take it or leave it. You can go back to your life after 30 days. Those are some manipulative, crafty you know, methods. But we're also told here in this text, we're not to adulterate the word of God or tamper with God's word. And by the way, there are, these are just examples. There are many examples, I'm sure, if we all got together, we could come up with of things we're not supposed to do. And one of these categories here is adulterating the word of God or tampering with it. What are some ways that are common ways that you really tamper with the message that God has declared in his word? Well, typically, the typical 
altar call theology um, is a tampering with God's word. Because what you end up having there is that you have salvation by aisle walking. You have salvation by aisle walking or salvation by repeating a prayer or salvation by raising a hand. And I'm not overstating that because I have personally, and I'm sure many of you have as well, spoken with people, or maybe you were this person, who thought you were saved because when you were 10, and then also when you were 12, and also when you were 15, walked the aisle or, or prayed the prayer or whatever, right? And that, that you thought that that saved you. I told this story to some of you guys last night when we were talking, but I spoke to a girl really almost a couple years ago now, but I won't forget her. We talked for a long time. We talked about how you can be forgiven, about the cross of Christ. We talked about what it means to be born again. I said, do you, when you look at yourself, do you, really, do you think that you're born again? I know that you profess to be a Christian, but do you see change? Do you see the fruits of being born again? And she said, you know, honestly, I don't think I am born again. I said, okay, good. It's good to recognize that. You, you, you thought that you were, you know, saved, but you recognize that you're not born again. She said, well, no, no, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm born again, but I got saved when I was nine because I repeated a prayer with my dad. Wow, there's a huge disconnect here that the prayer... That repetition of the prayer is what saves her, even though she recognizes that as she talks to me, she's not born again. There's, there's oftentimes in those situations no call to repentance or faith. Sometimes there is, but oftentimes there's not. There's, there's generally no call to test whether you're born again. It's just if you come down here, you're saved. For example, this is probably a more of a, a crass example, but T.D. Jakes, a prosperity, you know, quote-unquote gospel preacher, he did an altar call once, and I saw this, and I thought, this is a pretty good example. This is a quotation from it. I, I transcribed it. He's there in his church, and he's doing the altar call, and he says, you don't have to leave this room without Jesus. Come on down to the aisle. Make a personal commitment to Christ. Not a casual acquaintance, a personal, intimate commitment to Christ. If there's one, come now. Anybody? 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 says it three times, and then people start walking down the aisle. And this is his response. When people, you see the video, they're walking down, and he says, in the 17 years I've been the pastor of the Potter's House, his church, in the 17 years I've been the pastor of the Potter's House, we have never had a Sunday morning that someone didn't get saved in 17 years. If we made altar calls, somebody came to Jesus. You come down this aisle, two people walk, they're saved. They were told, you are saved now, because you did that. They didn't call upon the name of the Lord. He doesn't know. They, they stood up. Okay? This is saying that salvation, in the minds of the, of the congregation, that salvation is through aisle walking. That's basically what's going on. Or through, you know, every eye closed, head down. I see that hand. You know, you raise your hand and boom, you're saved. I've been in, I've been in places where this go on and you have people who are told they're saved who never repent or never trust in Christ and maybe have not even heard the gospel. They just have this general notion about some Jesus out there. Okay? Related to that, some, some emotional manipulation that can happen too is through music. Through music, oftentimes during altar calls. Emotional music tends to get more people to walk the aisle. That, this is self-consciously done in some churches. In fact, in my wife's old church many years ago, she was told, she was on the music team, and she was told, make sure that you're playing the guitar softly when we do the altar call, because it really you know, evokes the Holy Spirit. Like, really? So why, why did this guy think that playing a G chord or something evokes the Holy Spirit? Because he thinks that the music is going to make people walk the aisle, and he thinks that walking the aisle equals salvation. You have a problem here when you make the gospel and the gospel call linked to that, which is what happens in this theology. It's a problem. What about this? Just straight up... Changing the message is, of course, tampering with God's word. Changing the message to fit the palate of the world. Do anything that the world wants. If they say, um, we don't like the part in the Bible where it, does, where it calls homosexuality a sin, you say, big deal, we'll take it out. No big deal. We'll rip it out. You don't like Genesis? You want us to be evolutionists? I don't care. We'll do it. We'll do anything. We'll change the message as far as you want us to, as long as you'll come. Please come. We will, we'll change the whole Bible, basically, as long as you come. We'll change the message as much as you want. You don't like X, Y, Z? No big deal. We'll just pretend it's not there, and you can come. And now you're in the church, and now you're a Christian. You're tampering with God's word when you do that. You're deleting it. You're whiting stuff out. You're ripping pages out. It's a shameful thing, as Paul says. 
You know this one, empty and unbiblical promises. Life's always going to be happy for you if you become a Christian. Well, you know the Bible says quite the opposite. For example, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There'll be difficulties. There'll be trials. What about this? Couldn't come up with a catchy name for this one, but I'll explain it. Pretend, it's a pretend evangelism that is action-based. So pretend action-based evangelism. Let me explain. This is a form of friendship evangelism, quote-unquote, where the Christian says that he's sharing the gospel only through his actions, not at all through his words. Okay? So if I'm being nice to an unbeliever, well, that's, that's sharing the gospel with them. I, I held the door for them. I sent them a fruit basket. That's, that's sharing the gospel with them. Well, it's not, though. It might be being nice to them. That's wonderful. But it's not sharing the gospel. To call it evangelism is really not right. This, is, this person thinks that the gospel is something that you do instead of a message, instead of the good news about Jesus as Lord and Savior and how he's accomplished salvation. Think about Romans 10, 13 to 15. It says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him if they've, whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things? The gospel is a message. It's spoken. It's preached. Right? It's heard. It's believed. It's not something that you, that you do. It's not merely kindness. That's not the gospel. Those are good works, and that's wonderful. But it's not the gospel. Some people with this view will say, you don't have the right to speak into unbelievers' lives. You can't talk to them about you know, what they should believe and things like that. So instead, you're supposed to share the gospel without words, with, just with actions, right, with actions. They take that statement, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. They take it very you know, literally and say, you know, words really aren't necessary to preach the gospel. People will just be saved simply by me doing little acts of kindness for them. But the fact of the matter is, is that God has given you the right and the duty to speak into unbelievers' lives about the gospel. He has called you to do so. Whether you've known the person for a while or not, whether they're basically a stranger to you or whether they're a family member. Acts 17, 16 to 17. Notice who Paul talks to here. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with Jews and with God-fearing Gentiles. And where? In the marketplace with those who happened to be there. There's people out and about doing their business. He's going to go and and bring the gospel to them. He doesn't know them. He hasn't known them for six months to two years and and developed this this relationship. He's just talking to people. He has the right and the duty to speak to anybody, as we just heard. The people he knows closely, family members and things like that, also perfect strangers. We have the right and the duty to do so. Now, just a side note, also on this pretend action-based friendship evangelism thing, in my experience, there's two things that happen because of this, is that the gospel usually never ends up being shared at all because they refuse to use words. And secondly, that, that Christian becomes morally compromised, usually, because they're spending their time with unbelievers but are not talking about Jesus. They're not being... Um, witnesses to them. They're just going along and living life with unbelievers. And 1 Corinthians 15, 33 is fulfilled. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Happens very often, especially with you know, well-intentioned, but young Christians, teenagers, early 20s. I just want to spend time with these people, and they'll see the gospel in my actions, and they end up becoming morally compromised, sadly. Now, of course, this is in no way saying that, of course, we shouldn't adorn our profession with good works. Of course we should. And Jesus said that people will know that we're his disciples if we love one another. So when people see that we love one another, they're going to see that we're different and that Christ has changed us. But that in and of itself isn't the gospel. It's something that adorns the preaching of the gospel, but it's not the gospel itself. So when we call the gospel our actions, we're really tampering with what the gospel is, and that's not a, a sound method of evangelism at all. What about this one? This is probably the one that's going to hit closest to home because we're all tempted to it. Leaving out biblical truth for fear of offending the unbeliever. This is not, I'm just going to change it for the world. This is a little different. This is, I'm scared in the moment and I want to soften things. Essentially, if we're honest, this is in the moment deleting parts of God's word in our message. It's tampering with God's word. 
Paul, remember, he said he requested prayer that he would speak with bold, boldness, speak boldly as he ought to speak in Ephesians 6. Remember speaking boldly, speaking clearly, openly, not holding back the truth. Some lexicons even put this in there, to speak regardless of who is listening, to speak without fearing, to speak without worrying. You're not looking around saying, I don't know if I want to say that to that person. They might get mad at me. Well, if it's necessary truth, part of the gospel, you have to do it. Paul requested prayer for this, that God would strengthen him to be bold. And why? Proverbs 29, 24, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So we have to be strengthened by the Lord. It goes back to, again, relying upon him. We don't have this in ourselves, but be strengthened by him so that we fear him and not man. So we don't hold back on the doctrine of hell, for example. It's very important. God's warnings, very important. They're not generally palatable to people, but they're important. Or substitutionary atonement, where the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. People don't like that, right? It's the offense of the cross. But nevertheless, it's necessary in, in a proclamation of the gospel to speak of these things. So you don't want to hold, hold back and soft pedal and say, well, you know. You want to make sure that you're not changing the message that Jesus has called you to proclaim. That's not your business. Your business is to proclaim the message that he has sent. So, here in this, what are we not to do? Just in general, we're not to be crafty, sneaky, and tricky, nor are we to mess with God's word. We don't change it. So what do we do then? Well, look at the last part of verse 2. But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You could say, by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul is saying we reject these other ways, these, these ways of craftiness and tampering with God's word, this shameful, secret kind of methods where we're kind of being tricky, sneaky. So if we don't do that, we just preach the gospel with clarity and openness. We just manifest the truth. We just put it out there. We refuse to practice cunning. We don't do that. We don't practice, uh, we don't adulterate God's word. We just state it, exactly what he says. We do it clearly. There's not secrecy, there's no bribery, there's not ulterior motives. You're there to serve the Lord, and you're there to see the lost, hear the gospel, and you pray for their salvation. There's not some underhanded, sneaky, tricky way about this. There's not some real clever you know, tactic. It's really rather straightforward. And we just go out and we just make it plain to people. And he prayed, again, that he would make it plain, that he'd be clear. Just go out and make it plain. It's really simple, isn't it? Straightforward. Just bring the gospel to people. Just straightforward. He preached the gospel with clarity. Just laid down the truth. Right? There's not all this bells and whistles that other people might do with, this, with these other tactics. He says what it is. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to talk to you about the gospel. That's what we see him do in Acts. He goes out there. says, hey, listen. You know, in Acts 17. Hey, you all have this unknown God here. Let me tell you who he is. This is God. We talk about Jesus Christ raised from the dead. You know, just straightforward, right? So, how are we to reach them? It's by speaking the gospel plainly and clearly. It's not a lot of pizzazz in that. It's not all this fancy, you know, thinking of all these different tactics. And it's really, really straightforward. Just open, straightforward, plain gospel message, presentation. But then what, what do people say? What do people say to Paul here? And what do people say now to Paul? It doesn't work. How, there's no way you can get all the followers that we want to see. The people who do the tactics, they have thousands of people in their churches. So why shouldn't we do that? Your, your tactic hardly gets anything sometimes. Well, he answers that right away in verse 3. He says, even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So why, can't, why don't people see it? Why don't people always you know, become saved the moment that he preaches? He speak, he's speaking so clearly, right? Shouldn't people always be saved then? He says, no. Because even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Saying, people, the reason that people don't believe when I preach a clear gospel message is because they're not elect. They're those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1.18 uses the same type of language. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. 
So the same message, the same method, I'm going to go out there and speak plainly the gospel, you have two responses. You have people who are saved <clears throat> by the Holy Spirit, enlightening their eyes and enabling them to believe it. You have people who remain in their rebellion and they reject the gospel. He's saying, why is the gospel veiled? Why don't people see it? Because they're blinded. And we know that. And I'm not going to go into all the doctrine of election and total depravity because we don't need that right now in this, this time. We know that. But that's the point. We're all by nature sinners and rebellious, blinded by Satan, according to this text. Saying there are some people that, when they hear the gospel, they'll continue to be blinded by Satan and they will reject it. It's not because there's a deficiency in the method or a deficiency in Paul's preaching, it's, it's that people are rebellious and blind sinners, enslaved to sin, their father's the devil, they do his will, etc., etc. It's not the method. So we should be encouraged then. Man, I'm not seeing a lot of converts. Maybe I should think up a new way of doing things. No. No. We don't do that. Paul says we just do open statement of the truth, and the, and the results are in God's hands. Why don't people believe? Because God doesn't open those people's eyes in those times. He leaves them in their rebellion, and, and, and justly so, of course. But on the other hand, as he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So that same gospel message is preached in the same way. Other, some people will be saved, some will not. And that should be encouraging to us, and it should make us steadfast and just sticking to our guns on what God has said. We're going to do the method that he has prescribed, which is just clear, straightforward gospel presentation. Also, God has a massive number of people that he's saving. A massive number of elect people. Okay? So when we, when we bring the gospel out there, there will be people who are saved by it. It's the power of God for those people. God saves them by it. But on the other hand, when people don't respond, and in, in those cases where they never do, that's also in God's sovereign plan. So we're to be encouraged here. We don't do all this man-made, tricky stuff. Instead, we just stick to our guns and be open and clear about the gospel, and we just stick to it, even when we don't see a lot of converts. Even when we don't. Even in times when people reject it, we still say it's not because the message is deficient. It's because the people are in rebellion and they're blinded by Satan, according to the text. What's he proclaim? Look at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The content of the gospel is Jesus. It's what, who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. We're, we're to reach them. How are we to reach them? We're to reach them with the true gospel. Not something about us, but, something, but, but the message about Jesus. We're not preaching ourselves. We're preaching about Jesus. We can't save. Jesus can. We're going to preach about the Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know this. We know this. Look at just... Listen to these two texts about the gospel. Romans 1, 16 to 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That's about justification. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And they're forgiven, they're justified. Salvation is all by Jesus. That's the gospel that we proclaim. It's Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, he received the message from Jesus, and he declared it to them. Here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to when I was timely born, he appeared also to me. Gospel about Jesus. Look, look what he's saying here. This is what it is. It's about Jesus, what he has done. Jesus is Lord. He's the king. It's the gospel of his kingdom. The king has come and he has said, you need to repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1. Jesus is the Lord over all. Look at Psalm 110 
at some point. So I want to understand where he's sitting there as the ascended Christ, and he says he's going to make all his enemies a footstool for his feet, and he rules with his scepter out in the midst of his enemies. And he brings his people to himself. It's all people repents, turn to Christ. He's the king, he's the Lord, and he's the savior. He is, as Psalm 110 says, the priest forever, as Hebrews picks them. He's the priest forever. He's our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king, he's everything. He's accomplished salvation. And that's the content of our gospel. It's not about us, it's about Christ and people's need for him. Now finally, it's real quick in our last few minutes, I want to talk just briefly some practical things on how to, how to do evangelism. We heard just before some very good insights on, on reaching people who are our friends and family, people who are close, doing Bible studies. So I won't, I won't go over that, but that's, those are very important as well. Let me give you some practical tips on reaching people that you don't know. So first of all, remember that you're not able to do evangelism on your own. You need to rely on God. That was the first point. You have to pray for strength to be bold and to be clear. You can't do it. Self-reliance is foolish. Remember the, the hymn that we sang before this? The third verse of it, Stand Up for Jesus, it nails it on the head. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. Yes. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? You need to be prayerful and say, don't trust in your own strength, trust in, in God's. How many times does the psalm say, you are my, my refuge, my strength, my strong tower, my shield, etc., etc.? That's who God is. He should, we should trust in him. We also need to remember the principle that we're to speak the gospel clearly and openly. Without crafty schemes, without being a secret agent or anything like that for Jesus, you're just going to be, I'm a Christian, I want to talk to you about the gospel. We're going to be very clear about it. We're not messing with God's word or changing the message. Some practical things for preparation for that is you need to make sure you know the gospel well. I mean, no kidding, but you need to know it so that you can proclaim it. Okay, you need to know what it is, and know actually what it is. You may, if, you, if you're not sure, you might want to you know, talk to other Christians and make sure you know that well and can articulate it. Um, you want to make sure you know the Bible in general well. Okay? It's important. You want to be able to, to be able to answer questions and objections that unbelievers may bring to you. We're called to be able to do that. It might help to, to study some logic and study some um, apologetics, biblical, like presuppositional apologetics. It might, might be helpful to make you feel more confident in engaging and answering questions from unbelievers. We're told in 1 Peter to always be ready to give a, a defense when anybody asks us for a reason for the hope that's within us. So we should prepare ourselves for that as much as we can. Not all of us are going to be masters and, or scholars or anything like that, but we can learn these things. We can learn these things and have a, be, be um, equipped in a good way to do these things and, be, and, and, and grow in that and do better. Now, reaching the gospel, reaching people with the gospel practically, I know that many of us here, you know, you work 40 hours or more a week, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you're a student, you have busy schedules and all of that. How can you engage in sharing the gospel message with people when you have all these, this stuff going on in your life? Well, there are two things that you can do with your busy schedule. This has already been talked about a bit in this conference, but you can do a couple things. So one, and most, both of these things, again, you need to be praying for, praying for open doors, praying for ability to do it. But you need to look for open doors for the word, for the gospel in your day-to-day life. You have a day-to-day life. That's, your, that's what you're doing in your schedule. Look for open doors. Now, you're not forcing things, you know, you're looking for, hey, here's a good opportunity to talk to somebody about the gospel. Or leave a tract or give a tract to somebody. Taking opportunity to talk to that coworker when you're having lunch. Looking for open doors. You have, there's times in your life, so you know what, here's an open door. I'm right here, this guy came up to me in Walmart and is talking to me about fish hooks. Let's, maybe there's an open door here, right? Or something, you know? Things happen. God makes these, um, you know, these things take place. And then you may also want to schedule time to go out and intentionally share the gospel with people. I'm going to go to the park. I'm going to try to share the gospel with two or three people today on Saturday or whatever. So, but mainly in your day-to-day life, that's what's going to happen. You're going to have opportunities. If you pray for them, you'll have opportunities to share the word. This can happen with conversation methods, um, methods, personal conversations with people. This is modeled off of, you know, Acts 8, Philip the Evangelist is talking one-on-one with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? 
they end up having open Bibles or talking. It just kind of, the Lord made that situation happen, a one-on-one conversation about the gospel, right? Perhaps you're walking in a park or a conversation starts up somewhere about something, anything, about their dog, about the weather, about, you know, the drone that they're flying around or whatever. This is something that, you know, it might sound like kind of intimidating to do, something that um, I've heard, heard this one from Paul Washer. He said, he said, you know, I talked to a guy, you know, in an antique store or whatever, and he, he was the owner. We talked for a while, talked 10, 15 minutes about whatever. And I said, you know what? Before I go, I've enjoyed talking to you so much. You know, it would mean the world to me before, before we part. If I could just share my faith with you, it would mean the world to me. It's okay. Can I take five minutes to share my faith with you? He said most people will say yes to that. Give him a little, I'm just going to, how straightforward is that? Hey, can I, it would mean the world to me if I could just talk to you about Jesus for a few minutes. There's nothing tricky about that or anything. It's just very straightforward. People say, okay. You talked for a little while. You know, you kind of developed a rapport. It's really, it's really it. It's really simple. If, if you're going to go, you know, if you're going to do this here in the Bible Belt, you're going to come across most people who say they're Christians, just the way it is. Most people you talk to here are going to say they're a Christian, even though they may not actually know what the gospel is. So it's important when you have these conversations, even if they say, yeah, I know the gospel, I know about Jesus, okay, well, let's just talk about it for a little bit. And let's, let's, you don't say this, but you, know, you want to see if they really do know the gospel, see if they really do know Jesus, because you can't just assume it in this, in this area especially. We, talked, we learned about doing Bible studies earlier, so I won't go over that, but that's very important to do Bible studies with people one-on-one or small groups or whatever. Gospel tracts. This is easy. This is an easy way. And there's multiple ways to use. One, one method that I use is I have a gospel tract. I go up to somebody in the park and say, hey, can I give you this little card? It's about Jesus and the gospel. And people will take them. I say, by the way, do you know what the gospel is? And they say, yes or no. Either way, they say, no. I said, well, can I take a few minutes and tell you about it real quick? If they say yes, well, great. I get to not only give them a tract, but also talk to them about the gospel. If they say, no, I don't really have time, so okay. You move on, but guess what? They have the gospel in their hand in written form. So it's a good thing as well. So you're getting the gospel to them one way or the other, and you pray that they read that tract. Of course, another, and this is probably the easiest way, is to leave tracts places that people are going to find them. This is even really non-confrontational. This doesn't negate the fact that we should talk to people, but you know, when you're going day to day, you're going to the grocery store, you're getting gas or whatever, maybe you, don't have, maybe you haven't had any opportunities for conversations, but you do have opportunity to leave a gospel tract where somebody's going to find it in a few minutes. For example, you're um, pumping gas, you have your handle, you put the handle back in, a little area where they grab the pump, let's put a gospel tract in there. Five minutes later, somebody's going to get there and, oh, a gospel tract's in their hand. Who knows what they'll do with it, but you pray that God will use that. Maybe have some contact information on it so they can email you or something. You never know. We don't want to say, well, I don't think that'll work. God can use. God uses stuff amazingly. People find gospel tracts on the sidewalk and are converted. It's, it's amazing. So that's very simple. It doesn't even involve necessarily conversations. You can have public events, have a bunch of tracts, hand them out to a bunch of people with a smile on your face, right? Hand them out to the people, and maybe people will talk to you. Maybe they won't, but they might read the gospel tract later and, and call on the name of the Lord. So how are we to reach them? There, there's a bunch of different practical ways. I'm sure you can think of more. But we have to remember some of these principles. It's, it's really just about, it's really simple. And I think that one of the issues is that we make it far too complicated when we start thinking up all these different strategies. It's just, you want to go out there and you want to talk to people. Find ways to talk to people and talk about the gospel without deceiving them or without tampering with God's word. Just go out there and bring the gospel. Talk to them about it, right? Ask them key questions. What do you believe happens after you die? It's a great question. It helps you see what they're, where they're coming from when they're world, with their worldview. They say nothing happens, it's just you just die. Maybe they're an atheist, maybe. They say heaven or hell. Well, they might, might be a professing Christian. Maybe they say reincarnation. You get an idea of where they're coming from. Hey, why do you think God will let you into heaven? Well, that's going to tell you what they're trusting in. I'm going to go to heaven because I think that I've, tried, I've done enough. Hopefully I've done enough to get, to get there. Okay, they're trusting in themselves. Now you know you need, you need to show the gospel with them, emphasize that it's not by works but by grace. Right? Simple questions. You can find out a lot. You want to ask people questions. And I want, I want to emphasize that as well, is that make sure you're asking people questions and seeing where they're coming from so that you can answer or you know, address certain issues or misunderstandings in their mind. 
If you find out somebody's an atheist, you actually still don't know much about what they believe. You know that they don't believe in God, but you don't know. Not every atheist believes the same thing. Okay, That's my point. Not every atheist believes the same thing. So you need to ask them, what do you believe about this and that and the other things? And find out where they're coming from and address these things when, when necessary. You know, doing apologetics, doing evangelism, they're intertwined. Apologetics is not pre-evangelism. They go together. And you're giving a, a defense of the Christian worldview positively as well as um, you know, answering objections in, in these personal conversations. So there's, there's much more that, that could be said and you know, that, that I'm sure that you know, we could think of and talk about. But I want to I just drive this main point home. What's the point of this message? How are we to reach them? Is you're meant to reach them by, by, one, relying upon the Lord in everything that you do, praying for open doors, praying for boldness and for clarity. That's where you're starting. When you're still at home, that's what you're doing, right? And while you're going out as well. But then when you go out, you say, listen, I'm a Christian. I'm going to talk to you about the gospel. I'm not going to try to trick you or, leave, or you know, distort the word of God. I'm just going to talk to you about the gospel. You're going to go out there. You're going to talk to, as we heard earlier, talk to people that you know and talk to people that you don't know. And when people say, no, I don't want to talk to you, it's not a big deal, ultimately. You shouldn't be overly offended. You should say, I'm going to be encouraged. I have this ministry from the Lord. I'm going to keep on going and um, you know, trust in the Lord and pray for an open door where somebody is ready to receive the gospel that God will soften their heart, make them soil that will receive the gospel and that they bear fruit to his glory. Okay? So, there's much more to be said. If you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to. But the main thing is, we do it. How do we reach them is kind of useless if we're not doing it. So we need to do it. We need to get out there and do it. And just do it straightforwardly and clearly. Pray for the boldness to be able to do it and the clarity of speech so that people hear the gospel and the rest is in God's hands. Okay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your word, and we, we just pray that uh, you will give us boldness, as we are we're weak people just by nature. We're weak and cowardly people by nature. And clarity of speech, that certainly that we wouldn't purposefully be confusing, but also that we would just be able to speak it accurately and clearly. So I know, you know, we get you know, flustered and we don't know what to say, that you would just give us the words and the, and the confidence in you to share the gospel effectively with people. Pray for open, open doors for each and every one of us in the, in the coming days, that we would see those opportunities and that we'd take them, that we would, um, whether it's through personal conversations or, you know, through giving a tract or whatever, that you would use those efforts, our, our, our feeble efforts in and of ourselves, but you would use them to save the lost and that uh, you'd be glorified in showing your mercy to them.